My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of Semilla VC, I sit down with Antonio Gomez, co-founder of Mexico City-based medical and recreational marijuana startup, Trip. Antonio started as just the fourth member of Uber's operation team in Mexico City back in 2014 and spent almost five years at Uber in both Mexico City and San Francisco, rising up to be their head of marketplace operations for Latin America. He then moved to London to work for the SoftBank Index Tiger Global-backed financial super app, Revolut. After Revolut, he spent almost a year as chief operating officer of Mexico City-based Ola Cash before co-founding Trip to capitalize on the wave of medical and recreational marijuana in Latin America. In this episode, you will learn the current regulatory environment of medical and recreational marijuana in Latin America, how Antonio attracted early Uber drivers in Mexico City despite them being attacked by taxi drivers, what Antonio would say to a Latin American prior to assimilating to a work environment in San Francisco or the United States for the first time, and also about Tripp's fight for access to advertising platforms and financial services, and how their bank accounts were even temporarily frozen. Learn about all this and more in this episode of Samia VC. Antonio, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including founding Trip? Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, Trip. Um, so yeah, first of all, I, I was born and raised in Mexico City. Uh, I attended a German school since I was a kid. So that you know, very early on exposed me to different cultures. And I think that's a big part of you know what ended up making me who I am and you know uh, taking the decisions that I've been taking uh, uh, you know, along my, my career path. And yeah, I think, you know, with that, my the first time I left uh, my home was when I was 14 years old. I actually went uh, to live and study in Germany. Um, after that, I went to study civil engineering in, at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. And, and, you know, initially I went to university thinking I wanted to build, you know, skyscrapers and uh, dams and bridges and whatnot, and then ended up finding out that I was more passionate about moving people around and things around um, and, you know, specialized in transportation instead. Um, through that work, actually, you know, right out of university, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I was kind of like with mixed feelings about my my experience doing civil engineering. But then, you know, very quickly, I, I found a good um, job in a consulting firm. Um, it was a Spanish consulting firm in Mexico that was working precisely on developing a national infrastructure plan for the federal government in Mexico. And there, you know, I had the opportunity to actually apply my, my knowledge in the transportation side of things, you know, from very early on in a, at a you know, very important project for, for the country. And, you know, not to make the, the, the story too long, but I mostly sat in very technical meetings and then, you know, very political meetings where I saw everything technical go to waste, you know, because, you know, and, you know some of the decisions made didn't have anything to do with the technical side. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a very interesting experience, which actually led me to my, my next job, which I think is one of the most important steps in my career. I ended up joining um, Uber uh, very early on when they were launching in Mexico. I was actually um, the fourth person in operations for, for the Mexico team. Uh, so, you know, very early on, we had to essentially do the, the, the basics, right? So convince drivers one by one, install the app in each of the phones, uh, you know, like uh, sit in endless meetings with, with people who didn't understand how the actual payments work and so on. So it was it was an amazing experience to actually get, get to the ground, you know, work on something from, from, from scratch. 
um, and then see it develop, right? So I was at Uber for about four and a half years where my role changed constantly, right? So I initially um, was doing operations in Mexico City, then I started doing projects more at the Mexico level, then at the Latin America level, I then ended up moving to San Francisco uh, to join a product team uh, building globally. So, you know, it was an amazing experience to see it develop that way and, you know, also see kind of my, my role um, expand in many ways and my impact expand in many ways. Um, after this four and a half years, I kind of decided, you know, it's time for me to to move on uh, and see, try my luck in, in, in another industry. Um, I actually joined Revolut in London. Um, at that time, Revolut was already big, but not as big as they are right now. And they were operating only in Europe and only is, is not to say, um, you know, um, that, that it's, it's a, a small thing, but um, I joined the team to help them expand um, in different markets outside of Europe um, that included markets like Japan, Singapore, the US, Canada. Um, and as well, um, I helped them establish the operations team, right? So initially the team was a team of about 10 persons sitting mostly in London, you know, all the work being super centralized. And then um, I helped the team expand to be 110 people sitting globally. And then obviously having a much more robust way of operating the businesses that were actually uh, being launched in, in the different markets. Um, so I, that was that was also an amazing experience. I ultimately saw that you know Latin America was one of the regions that Revolut wasn't targeting at the time, and I was super interested. Obviously, you know I'm Mexican, so so there's a natural interest there. But I also see, um, you know, the opportunity that that Latin America has, um, you know, in in many ways. And so I decided to actually join a small small fintech that was looking to do something very similar. To what Revolut was doing in Europe, but in uh, starting with Mexico and then with the ambition of scaling to to Latin America. Uh, so uh, this platform was um, Ola Cash at the time. Uh, you know we were uh, building a B two C product, uh, payments product, uh, mostly centered in Mexico. And you know after one almost one year working with them, um, I decided to jump uh, to the opportunity that I'm working on right now. Um, I saw that, uh, you know, in terms of, of uh, you know, the legal drugs, cannabis is one that is coming up more frequently in different markets, right? So in the U.S., you have it um, already legal in many places, many states. You have uh, many European countries already talking about legalization, uh, and not, not only for medicinal use or, or, in, or in, you know, only palliative use. It's also for recreational use, for adult use, of, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, more expanded uses. And so, you know, was really curious about it. And we, well, my co-founder and I, you know, have always been passionate about, um, you know, other recreational uses for cannabis, um, understanding, you know, the different effects that this plant can have in your day-to-day, -day, you know, from, um, you know, being a tool for, for physical wellness to being a tool for mental wellness. And so we decided to, to look deeper into it. We saw that, you know, the laws were already giving us a space uh, to work uh, with something in Mexico and decided to start to start TRIP, right? So TRIP is currently um, a marketplace platform um, whereby we uh, connect sellers and buyers of legal cannabis products, uh, starting with Mexico, but also wanting to expand to, to the rest of Latin America. And yeah, essentially that's that's what I'm what I'm currently working on.
So what's the current trend of legalization of recreational and medical marijuana in Latin America, country to country? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, you know, first of all, um, we're seeing um, different different countries are starting with the, the most obvious question is, you know, starting um, with the medicinal use, right? So how uh, can we use cannabis to actually treat um, chronic diseases, uh, pain, um, insomnia, uh, you know, even just day-to-day -day anxiety. And so more and more countries, uh, for example, in the past six months, I can recall uh, Costa Rica, uh, Colombia, Argentina, um, uh, Mexico, you know, they, they've been opening uh, the market for the medicinal use of, of cannabis already. And some of them are already talking about uh, recreational use as well, right? So Mexico is the one that is already, um, you know, discussing this in the Senate. Um, uh, Colombia, for example, I think actually last week, the, the new president in Colombia mentioned that, uh, you know, they want to fully legalize um, cannabis for recreational use in Colombia without licenses, which is obviously a radical take, but, you know, it's, it's obviously, a, you know, it tells you something about where the industry is going. And so we believe that the direction is clear, right? It's just a matter of how fast we're going to get there. Uh, and and we, we really want to be first in the game. That's where we, we started from there. Similar emerging uh, startups in the industry in the United States many years ago, they had issues with bank accounts, things like that. What are some issues that you guys are facing doing the same sort of thing in Latin America? Yeah, I know. That's a great question. It's amazing because you know, like, there's a lot of misinformation out there, uh, disinformation. Um, you know, we, we have trouble as well, right? So first, um, you, you think about the most obvious things for, for companies to actually establish themselves. You know, like we don't even have access to some of those services. Um, financial services, right? So getting a bank account was, was a problem for us, right? So, and it's still a problem, right? We, we all, you know, sometimes have to explain a lot of things to, to different banks um, when, you know, it's just, you know, simple transactions for most of the businesses, right? But yeah, so financial services is a big one, right? So banks have a lot of, of, of trouble understanding our business and, you know, also understanding the, the legal framework where we're currently standing. I'll be honest as well, right? It is actually complicated. And that's why it's currently being, um, you know, legislated and discussed in, in the Senate in Mexico, right? Because it is still uh, not super certain, not super clear. There are some contradictions. Um, and so, you know, we understand that we, we want to be collaborative, uh, but we, it's also a pain right now. Uh, that's one, one of the issues. The second issue, and I think this is broader, in, and this also extends to markets outside of Latin America, is, for example, marketing, right, in advertising. Uh, most of the platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, any any big platforms that you can think of, um, you know, they they essentially don't allow any mentions uh, of cannabis, right? So there's no way you can actually, you know, pay for an ad to go out talking about cannabis or showing a product in that, you know, it's uh, it's just cannabis, even if it's for, for medicinal use, right? There are some, some very small allowances that they do, but, you know, it's uh, super arbitrary as well, right? So someday you might have it out and then someday, you know, it's, you know, shut down. Uh, you know, we've had different accounts in Instagram being shut down. Uh, taken down uh you know uh, assets freeze so you know it's been it's been a huge huge mess but you know in in some way it's um it's a lot of fun right <laughs> and it reminds us of the early days as well as uh you know when we were operating in uber 
right? So similar to what we had at Uber at the very beginning, right? So it was a, a legal product or a legal service, uh, but not a regulated service. And there was a lot of discussion around what could be done, what could be done. Obviously, you know, all the history with, you know, taxi syndicates, uh, drivers and all of that. So we're having something similar, not, not at that scale um, yet, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Could you tell us more about your time at Uber in Mexico City and maybe even one of those stories about the growing pains right at the beginning with airports or taxis or, or some of those struggles right at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you know, to give some context, um, when I was uh, at Uber in Mexico City, I was responsible for um, everything on, on the supply side, right? So getting more drivers on the platform, making sure that, you know, they were uh, driving as often as, you know, we wanted them to drive, and that they were earning the right uh, amount of money so they, you know, really engaged with the platform and obviously, you know, making them happy so they actually stayed for the long term. Um, I think that that last part was was quite hard for us in Mexico at the very beginning, right? So um, the earnings were there. I think that was not an issue. The demand was there, right? So obviously, Uber was growing at a crazy at a crazy rate at that point, and we, you know, one of the biggest constraints on our end was the supply. But then, um, I think those experiences with violence and safety in Mexico were were crazy. That you know. Even one incident, you know, one single isolated incident could scare off, you know, hundreds of drivers and they wouldn't come on to driving the platform, you know, uh, during the most uh, demanded times, right? So, for example, Saturdays at night, Fridays at night, right? Because they knew that, you know, obviously taxis also are chasing for people who are, you know, uh, looking for transportation at, at that at that point uh, or at that time of the week and so you know a lot of conflicts happened on the, on the street i would say i would say you know we didn't really have anything that was um concerning on a large scale but it was more a matter of kind of handling the perceptions that you know isolate events created um, amongst the drivers uh, you could see, you know, rumors started to spread very quickly, and it was it was sometimes sometimes funny, uh, you know, how to see how these things spread, um, you know, just in different WhatsApp groups, uh, Instagram groups, Facebook groups, and you know, someone says something, you know, in the streets, and then everyone is talking about it, and it's not true. So yeah, I can tell you about one specific um event but but definitely you know we had many many events that were um concerning more from a perspective of fear from drivers than you know from an actual you know we really thought that it was an issue for the driver's safety how would you compare your time at uber in mexico city and your time at uber in san francisco both with the workplace the culture the ideals tell us a little bit more about that juxtaposition yeah no i think it was you know, when I was in, in, in Mexico City, I, I felt that, you know, we were mainly operating hustling and, you know, just, you know, day to day finding ways to grow, finding ways to survive, right? <laughs> in many ways, it was just, you know, that pure hustle that you can feel and, and you can feel the electricity of it when you're inside of it. Um, I moved to San Francisco and obviously the pace is very different. The way of working is very different. The, the things 
that we started to think about are very different as well, as well as the timelines, right? And so it was the first experience that I had kind of like switching to a tech world, but actually from inside the tech team and the and the product teams, right? Um, I was, you know, in Mexico City, I was in a tech company, but mostly on the operational side and, you know, very on the ground. And when I moved to San Francisco in, you know, it was, it was you know, very different in many ways. I believe you know, the first thing was actually thinking more strategically was something that I learned over there, right? So in, when you're on the ground, you just think about the tactics that you need to grow, you know, your numbers day to day, month to month, and, you know, just keep it going. And when I moved to San Francisco, now you really have to thought about, you know, for example, issues like safety, right? So what happens if you have these issues that we were seeing, for example, in Mexico, but in, in you know, in a more, more repetitive fashion? What happens if you have them more often in the streets? And what happens if you actually have serious safety issues? And we started to see those patterns as well, right? So we started to see some cities are more dangerous than others, for example, in Latin America. Uh, cities in, in Brazil, there are some cities, some regions within cities in Brazil that are super dangerous, right? And we saw what we saw in Mexico City, but on a larger scale. And now we have to think about those things, right? So how do we actually solve for those things systematically and not just you know, from a purely tactical way like we were doing in Mexico City, right? And so, um, yeah, so in many ways, you know, I have to really work with um, a lot of stakeholders from, you know, a central place that was not ideal to understand, you know, sometimes the Latin American context, right? So you're sitting in San Francisco and trying to understand what happens to a person who gets on a car in the middle of a favela in Rio. So, you know, it's obviously, you know, very, very difficult to kind of um, understand uh, that from a distance but also to communicate with the people who are actually building the solutions for this, you know, serious problem. So it, it was a very different type of job for me. And I, I remember having a lot of philosophical and ethical questions and discussions with, you know, GMs across different markets in Latin America, but also with product managers sitting in San Francisco. And it was, it was definitely a, a much more challenging in, time for me, you know, professionally speaking. I think that's where we really have to think deep, uh, understand the questions, understand the different answers, because for example, something like safety, and I've been talking about safety right now, but something like safety, you know, the standards are not the same across different cultures, right? So you could have a culture that is very, very bullish and saying, you know, police needs to take care of uh, everything that uh, has to do with safety and you know, crime in the streets. And so Uber has nothing to do with it. So we shouldn't change our platform to kind of like uh, help in any way that issue or to, that issue to improve. Um, but then you have other cultures where, you know, you have people saying, you know, it's actually your responsibility to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, the riders who actually request a ride are vetted before taking a ride, right? That's something that doesn't make sense for a person in San Francisco to do, but, you know, Probably if you're in a favela in Rio, you want to know who's getting on your car when you're a driver in driving an Uber, right? So, so yeah, so a lot of those questions started to come up. So it was a, a very interesting time. I think um, you know much more enriching um, from a, a perspective of a strategic uh, thinking. Um, and yeah, I think um, 
one of the biggest uh, decisions in my life to move to to this this role and a clear before and after for me as well right i think uh, you know my thinking changed radically after that what would you tell the antonio today who's lived in mexico city you know had some time in germany like you maybe but is deciding to work in the united states for a little bit what would you tell them about assimilating to the kind of the work culture <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a great question I think um, I, I think I think the most important thing was um, realizing that problems aren't perceived the same way from a distance, right? And I think that was that was one of the things that you know, it, it makes sense when you when you talk about it, but it, it, it it's not it's not as simple to understand when you're sitting in your desk. In, in San Francisco and trying to see numbers and you know patterns and just from a purely technical perspective then you know when you go to a place actually experience what's happening then there and you're like oh actually this is you know very different from what I was seeing in the data so you know initially I kind of like thought that people would kind of get a lot of these things you know up front uh, without us having to kind of like do a lot of hands-on work or you know visit places and initially you know we i don't think i did a good job at communicating some of the needs that we needed in latin america for example and because i thought that people kind of like were more sensible to to these things and so it took me a lot of you know sensibilizing um a lot of people to these issues but also you know um you know getting people to experience that themselves right it was you know it was uh, only when we, you know, traveled with the tech teams sitting in San Francisco to Latin America, and then you know we sat in, uh, you know, in a favela, ordered an Uber, and then you actually see, wow, this is actually a very weird experience the way we have it, right? And so maybe it makes sense to you know change things in some in some way, and it, it's obviously not not a simple thing to do. It's obviously not a simple thing to explain nor is it a simple thing to solve but it's um i think that's that's the most important thing that i would say to myself before going to to the u.s right so it's not it's not that simple to understand before you actually experience it yourself so could you tell the audience a little bit more about your time at revolut and Ola cash and why those experiences made you want to found trip yeah yeah definitely so my time at Revolut, actually Revolut, um, you know, it was an, an interesting story because um, I was actually traveling. I was uh, in Japan and I was spending money with my uh, my debit card from Mexico. And so I was just seeing every time I swipe my card, you know, I have commissions and, you know, obviously also exchange rates that were super bad right so you know obviously not favorable for for anyone who does that so it's like there, there has to be a better way it, it doesn't make sense that you know i am paying more of my money just to use it right and so i just started googling you know how to how to actually get um you know better rates using debit and credit cards and so i came across revolut in, and i saw that they were launching in different markets Right. I actually applied to Revolut wanting to expand to Latin America. Right. So I was like, this has to come to Latin America. This, you know, is needed in Latin America um, for many reasons. Right. So you have obviously, you know, the, the travel, the people traveling, 
um, and it was a, a big use case for Revolut. That was a big part of it. But also, when you think about um, remittances, right, from the U.S. and Mexico, it's, it's one of the largest remittances corridors in the world, right? So I think it, it, the three biggest are in the U.S., with India, China, and Mexico, right? And so that's a, a huge use case, right? So and, and I thought this is something that you know will do a lot of good to 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 people in in the region, right? Um, I ended up joining in Revolut, and initially, you know, the first thing they told me is, you know, uh, go ahead and open Brazil uh, for for Revolut. And uh, you know, obviously, I started working on it, but it wasn't as easy, right? So it's not it's not as simple to do that. Obviously, you know, Brazil, especially, is a is a difficult market for for many of these things. I'm not going to go into detail about that, but you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. And so I decided to you know, well, actually, I didn't decide, but the company decided to to spend more more time actually expanding in, in other places, right? So as I mentioned, the uh, the Canadian business, U.S. Um, Japan, Singapore, Australia, some other more obvious markets, right? And so I think after one and a half years um, working there, it was an amazing experience, but I kind of became impatient, right? So the original um, the original intention for me to, to join Revolut was to actually bring it to Latin America. And so um, at that time, I was approached by some ex-Uber folks that were actually building, that are currently still building Ola Cash. And, you know, it, it made a lot of sense for me to join them and actually start something in, in Mexico directly. So, so yeah, and I think that's, that's kind of like the biggest factor that actually influenced my, my decisions in that, in that point. And I think how that influenced um, me starting PREP and, you know, kind of uh, diving into the cannabis industry. I think I think it's not it's not that related, right? In many ways, it's it's very far from from a, from you know, Revolut and all cash. But I think it's actually it made me realize that I really enjoyed the hustle of the operations days at Uber, right? You know, being in Revolut and all cash made me realize, you know, maybe this is not not the best thing that I could do with, you know, one my skills and second, you know, the way I think about things, in, you know, which is a bit more chaotic in many ways, um, not as you know highly regulated as as finance, even though cannabis is regulated. So yeah, I think you know I really was looking to to come back to to the days of hustling, um, you know, living day to day you know, moving things around physically and, you know, uh, building technology around, around that uh, physical movement. How has the Latin American venture capital and technology ecosystem changed since you joined Uber in 2014? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, you know, in, when I joined Uber, I, you didn't really hear much about VCs in Latin America, right? So obviously you heard about the stories of, Uber, Airbnb, you know, those companies that were certainly, you know, be the, the unicorns at the time and, you know, receiving a ton of investment, but it was not something that you heard in your day-to-day -day in Latin America, right? So it, when I talked to, to people about, you know, stock options and VCs and investments and seed rounds and, and, and so on, you know, most of the people didn't know about what I was talking about. And I myself, didn't know anything about it before joining Uber, right? So, you know, it, it tells you something about the maturity of that in, in, in Latin America. In, 
now now it's the other word i mean it's you know a radically different version of latin america when i think about it right so you see most of the people now everyone wants to work at, at, at startups everyone knows what stock options are everyone talks in terms of you know races fundraises who's race what and you know i think it's a it's a very exciting time for latin america in that way and and you know i'm happy to be part of it in certain you know in a very small way uh but also happy to see you know how fast people are developing right now i see people coming out of university University, you know, having huge careers in, in startups that, you know, it's, it's just amazing. We didn't have that before. Before leaving, before leaving to, to, to study in Germany and, and in Canada, you know, one of the promises I made myself was I want to come back to Latin America. I want to give back to the region. And I really believe at that time that in 10, 15 years time, Latin America was going to be kind of the region to be in, right? So economically speaking, from a development perspective as well. So I believe that you know we're seeing that right now, and I'm super excited about it. Okay, finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with a uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth about Latin America do very few people agree with you on? Yeah. It's a, it's a, an interesting question. Um, I think when I think of, of Latin America, right, and this is possibly going to sound cliche, but you know, you you, you hear Latin America and, and you immediately think of you know passion, uh, you know, a party, a, some some chaos, and I think and I think uh, we really you know as humans, I think we really thrive in a in a you know, in an environment where we do have some chaos, but some order and organization as well, right? So I think Latin America is currently in that in that phase of its history that, you know, it's just getting enough order and organization to develop very quickly and to be, you know, important economically. But at the same time, it, you know, still has a lot of the chaos that makes it interesting, that makes it, um, even productive in a creative way, right? So it's not the same kind of just being always in a in a you know in an industry that's super regulated in a country that's you know where everything works perfectly than to having to go out in the street and you know finding your way out because you don't know how everything works in a new city in Latin America, right? So I think to me, you know. And, and this reminds me of something that um, Travis and Uber said a lot. You know, we need to be operating at the, you know, um, in the right balance of order and chaos. And you know, too much order is is bad. Too much chaos is also bad. And you know, finding that middle ground is is where the sweet spot is. And I think we are currently in that sweet spot in Latin America. And I hope that, that you know we kind of get order in the places where we really need to get order and that we remain chaotic in the places where we can't afford to be chaotic. So I think that's that's the way I think about Latin America. What an excellent answer. Antonio, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Samia VC podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Thank you very much for the time. And great. Thank you for watching this episode of Sumia VC. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you watch your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Gorman Trip and subscribe to Sumia VC's DealFlow LA newsletter, which can be found at dealflow.la.